This is Marvel 616 Politics, and this episode, Jared and I went to Gem City Comic Con in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, of course, we are brought to you, we are sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, the best place on the internet to get all your comic books. Up to 40% off. Actually, no, up to like 75% off. Uh, We're also sponsored by Community Retail Partnership, CRPSavings.com. It's a group purchasing plan for Office Depot. Go to CRPSavings.com. Sign up. If you're a church or community organization, it's free. If not, it's a one-time fee of $39, and you can make that back like that with your purchases, so feel free to do that. And lastly, we are sponsored by MichaelWebSolutions.com. For all your SEO and website needs, Michael Web Solutions. Like I was saying, Jared and I went to Gym City Comic Con. We actually got to do a panel. So um, what you're going to hear is us doing our panel. We were setting up the equipment. We had, actually, we had an audience there, a goodly amount of people, uh, a lot of good interaction. There's a little uh, distortion and there's a little sound quality issues, but I tried to amplify the um, the audience as much as possible to get their interaction. And it came through pretty good. Um, and then after that, after the transition, we actually did four interviews. The last interview is with uh, Arlen Schumer. And uh, the intro got cut off there. So um, his name is said at the end, but I wanted to make sure we knew up front it was Arlen Schumer. So uh, also Greg Land, Jay Leiston, and Kyle Holtz. All right, enjoy. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for coming. Uh, this is Marvel 616 Politics. I'm Andy. I'm Jared. All right. And uh, why don't you explain real quickly the 616 Politics part? Yes, we are. Well, yeah. For anybody that just got here, uh, we are coming to you live from Gem City Comic Con. Um, we are taking over a different panel. That was scheduled earlier. It was for the Mark Wade panel. So if you're here for the Mark Wade panel and you want to head out, we understand too. But if you want to hear about some cool Marvel uh, stuff going on, you're more than welcome to stay. We just don't want uh, anybody to be too disappointed. And uh, we won't judge you as you leave. But feel free to take a card if you'd like to do that. That's true, yeah. Well, we won't judge you verbally. No, we'll talk about you afterwards. We'll say, did you see that person who got up and left trying to be quiet? If you see them on the Comic-Con floor, judge them harshly as you walk by. But uh, Marvel 616 politics, a lot of people are like, what does Marvel 616 politics mean? Uh, we're not a Republican or Democrat uh, uh, podcast of any sort. That's not the politics part. But the 616, I'll, I'll explain that part. You explain the politics part. Uh, the 616 is the main Marvel universe. This is not the, the movie universe or the cartoon universe or, or any alternate reality. This is the, the meat and potatoes Marvel universe, and it's called the 616 universe. And we said the politics because it, the main storylines that drive – the Marvel Universe, the 616, that's what we're going for. So, you know, when you see your dark reigns, your fear itself, 
that's mainly what we talk about. We don't really get too much into the weeds, like what's going on with man thing or anything like that. Or fear itself, honestly. Well, <laughs> we can talk about that. Yeah. And we're also a family-friendly podcast, uh, so feel free anytime that you listen, know that you're not going to hear anything uh, too sultry or uh, inappropriate words or anything like that. It's going to be okay for the whole family to listen to it. Sometimes I find your voice sultry. Sultry? Yes, sultry. it is. Kind of sultry. Marvel 616 Politics. <laughs> It's not really sultry, but I've, I saw a couple uh, interesting things on the floor down there. Is this your first time at Gem City? No, no. This is probably like my fifth or sixth time at Gem City. I, I can remember meeting back over in the, the meeting rooms at Wright State, the, uh, the, the university itself, just these little dinky rooms meeting and being shoulder to shoulder with people. And uh, to now be at the Nutter Center is huge. It's awesome. But this is your first time. It is my first time, and uh, so I've been to. I'm from New Orleans area, and that's where I. That's where my domicile is. That's where I live. <laughs> and so, uh, but I came up here for this fourteen-hour drive for you, everyone, all you people out there, especially the girl in the Harley Quinn outfit, if you will. Big okay. Marvel fan. That's <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> Are you at the right panel? Fourteen <laughs> hours for you. <laughs> But so, I saw some very interesting things on the floor. Other people in costumes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At New Orleans Comic Convention, they don't have the amazing deals that they do here. I bought probably 58, 59 trades for $5. Did you guys see No, they that were four. There? They were four. For $4. Yeah. You buy five and you get them for $4. Yeah, that first booth. Did anybody see that? The first booth when you first walk in, no. it's like the, the mecca of trades. Anybody see that? He saw it. He did. did you get any? No, I didn't, but yeah, the deals are fantastic here. Holy cow. It was it's like, amazing. Just take my money. It's amazing. My wife is going to be super excited when I get home that I spent all of her paycheck <laughs> on comics. <laughs> well, one thing we wanted to talk about, maybe get some audience feedback about here, is um, media that's not in the 616. Now, we this might be. We haven't thanked anyone yet. We, we oh, have to thank some I, people. Uh, go, we want to thank Jesse Noble first. If you, if you guys know who Jesse is, Jesse is the man. He runs this whole thing without Jesse. This would not happen. And originally, we just had press passes to be here and kind of cover the event. Um, we're working on making like a mini documentary about Gem City Comic Con, and so he got us passes. And then he's the one that asked us to do the panel. And when you have to fill Mark Wade's shoes, I mean, I don't know, was it size 11, 12? He is some huge. That was really funny, wasn't it? That he's got some big shoes to fill. So for Jesse to ask us, uh, that was a huge, huge thing. So we want to thank Jesse and of course Gem City Comic Con just for for having us. It's been a blast so far, and it's only day one. Okay. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> Good segue. Yeah. Well done. Okay. <laughs> uh, what, yeah. Thank all those people. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we all are here because we love comics. We all love the uh, characters. We all love the medium. But. Um, you know, there's other mediums that take uh, take precedence sometimes. You know, we have the cinematic universe that's, mm-hmm. that's driving people in droves. Uh, we have video games. We have books. Um, I'm actually reading a book right now by Jim Butcher, which is uh, it's a Spider-Man book called The Darkest Hour. Okay. And it's supposed to take place in uh, JMS's Straczynski run right after Morlin. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. But... Um, Basically, it's out of date right now. It's a, it's a really enjoyable read, but because yeah. of things that have been written since then, uh, it's it, it no longer applies. So what I wanted to maybe get some audience feedback here is, you know, what is more important 
Is uh, the comic, the actual comic that, that takes place, the paper copy, or is it everything else that takes place too? Is it the video game tie-ins, the movie tie-ins, the show? We got the Daredevil uh, TV show mm-hmm. April 10th, right? 13 days from today. I'm not counting down or anything. Right? So, but I mean, is what do we really care about? If, if we are comic fans, does it matter? Is it just the characters or is it just the exposure? Is it the storylines? Because I'm, I'm a heavy continuity guy. So, yeah. um, any feedback here? Sir? Yeah, I, I just want to say that um, when I was younger, when I was much younger, I was a continuity guy. Like, I was like a purist. Like, if, if it doesn't meet this story, you know, it's not a Chris Claremont story, then I don't even want to look at it. Um, but I've come to realize that Hollywood doesn't market to guys like us, so they have to market to everybody else, especially, especially new, new, you know, new audience. And, you know, it has to make money. So, I do appreciate the Marvel Cinematic Universe takes from, you know, Marvel 616, the Ultimate Universe, some storylines that were like maybe in What If, and they pull all those all those ideas and storylines together and throw them in there. You know, they're not, it's not going to be exactly how I like it, but I think it's a good, like, hodgepodge of all that stuff. Right, it is. That's a good point. You know, because they are marketing to a wider audience. And they, they are, it, it, they do, it is a business. They do have to make money. So then the question becomes, for the, do they do that and sacrifice the hardcore fans that are like, well, wait a minute. But then the, also I wanted to ask you, uh, the problem occurs, you know, these comics come out monthly mm-hmm. and sometimes biweekly. And so, so many things happen within that amount of time that, you know, the movies can't keep up. You get like six hours of content per year in the cinematic universe, but you get hours upon hours of contact uh, con- content in uh, the 616. So... Do you, do you think at all they're undercutting any of their audience? Uh, I think I don't think the movies necessarily. I think you have to understand that the movies are different than the comics. Like you had said, you know, the the movies are going to pull from the Ultimate Universe and and from this universe and and from this and this and this and then that's going to be the movie and that's fine. I think the problem comes that when like you, you've been reading, you know, umpteen years, and then all of a sudden, the book that comes out this week now looks just like the movie, and it almost disregards some of the stuff that has happened in the past. Um, like, you know, like, uh, oh, well, you know the original Avengers are uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow, right? Well, no, the original Avengers are not Hawkeye and Black Widow. They're not even Captain America, you know? Uh, and you gotta kind of, it's like, hard to find that balance of like becoming the geek like well you do though that this guy did this that's rude you saw you me know? i asked for contact solutions so he knows that i wear glasses yes <laughs> your big black frames are in the car they were the cheapest ones <laughs> <laughs> but you have to balance that with like that's just not true and you don't want it to to change what you've been reading you know i've been into books this is like my 22nd year 22nd or 23rd year i've been reading comics and i while i love the movies i know that I don't want my, my books that I've been reading with my continuity to now be like, well, you do know that Black Widow and Hawkeye were original members. They just weren't. They weren't. And it's, that, to me, is a big deal. Now, it's not as a big deal as like, you know, well, back in Avengers number 53, when uh, Ant-Man ate chocolate ice cream, he said it was his favorite. And now I see that he said that vanilla is his favorite in 2015. I mean, these writers just don't know anything about continuity. So how much can you change without changing the character that we love? So let's see this gentleman right here. If he's drawn to the movies and the comics because he likes these particular aspects of such and such a character... Well, if the continuity doesn't line up and you, it's changing in the comics, 
but it's in the movie, then how much of that can you change without you losing interest and then jumping to a new character or, or, or disregarding the medium altogether? Any <laughs> feedback? I mean, it, what ends up happening is, I mean, like, I do think they did justice with Captain America. You know, even though they, like, just changed everything. Um, you know, we have a different Nick Fury than was in Indy, not in the Howling Commandos. But I think the essence of who Captain America is was captured. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Like, I'm really, really happy with that. And, 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 and when a soldier didn't deal with the fact that he feels like he's irrelevant in the 21st century. Like, I think that's a storyline that they keep doing over and over in Marvel 616. And I, I like that. Even though they change everything, you know, you're kind of like, okay, I, I, I'm okay with this idea that this is the Captain America, the Steve Rogers that I've always, always known and loved. And they kept that essence there. They changed a lot of details, but I'm happy with that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the, what's your, I'm sorry, what's your name, sir? My name is Danny Rodriguez. Dan Trezomi is my pen name, so. Dan? Dan Trezomi, you call me Dan. All right, all right, Dan, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I agree with Dan that, you know, if you capture the essence, uh, so the question is, what then? What is the essence of a character? All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, young lady, Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, you decided to dress up as this character. Do you enjoy this character? Absolutely. Okay. And what about this character? Um, I think it's just because I feel like a lot of characters in comics they feel like, oh, this person's heroic, and that's like it. They're really not dynamic characters, and I feel like Harley Quinn they've done a good job with, you know, like making her have a lot of layers and she has problems but she also has humor and all these different factors that make her a real character you know and that's i feel like that's why a lot of people like her is because not only is she relatable but she can also be serious and funny and all these different things. so what medium do you prefer her in or do you not do you prefer her exposure to how were you exposed to her like which harley quinn did you see first um, my first harley Would you think with some of these layers, you said that she's a very dynamic character and that she has a lot of layers, and so is there a medium that you've been turned off to, like a presentation of her that you say, well, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't the layers of this character that uh, I, I enjoy. This is a very two-dimensional character that I cannot relate to. We were also having another discussion that you brought up earlier today that may actually uh, dovetail into this. How many of you have read the uh, the new Marvel uh, Star Wars books that just came out? Okay, fan, not fan, yes. It's growing on me. It's growing on you. It's Jason Aaron is the is the lead writer on it. What's the what's the issue? What's the issue we do? It's different. I don't know how. It's it just seems like not the normal Star Wars that you're kind of used to, like. There's a clear enemy here and clear good guy here. This one is just kind of more... Yeah, I, I like that about it. It's kind of... Kind of grayer? Yes. Well, these guys seem good, but these guys also have a good point. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the Empire. We live in America, right? They have a good point. 
Well, Fire has some good ideas. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess one of the questions I have on that is, um, is I can't get into that book because it's dropped in the middle of continuity. And so, like, anything that happens inside that book is within the confines of between this movie and this movie. And so I can't go and explore that world and have fun in that world because I say, well, it's all going to end up and the Death Star is going to get destroyed. It's, gonna end, but it's, it's interesting for me, at least, to see a different writer and a different artist take on what we've put. Like, I'm sorry, sir. Go on. You've imagined it. How, like, okay, so in my head, this happened. They never covered this in a movie, but this is how I'm picturing it happened. Sure. It's, I just think it's interesting to see an artist and a writer show what they think and what they interpreted as happening. So to get an outside perspective other than yourself. Okay, that's, see, that's something that I think I need to open my uh, horizons to because, you know, going back and reading this book that I was talking to you about, I mean, it drops Peter Parker right in the middle of teaching. And I was like, oh, the reason I'm interested in this is because that's the era that I really enjoyed when he was a teacher, not when he was working for Parker Industries or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's written out of continuity because a book lasts longer than, or the book's status quo lasts way longer than the comic status quo because next week it's going to change. You know, and they have a new, uh, you know, a new things happening every month, 12 to 18 events happening worthwhile for their own comic book. So, you know, when we go to see a movie and we say, okay, well, is this character relatable? You know, it's relatable to the original character, and that's what everybody fell in love with, but they've supposedly progressed so far in 40 to 60 years, right? When was Timely Comics? Timely hmm. Publication? I believe it was 39. 39? Yes, I anyone, believe so. Any vouch for this gentleman here? The Timely Publications, was it 1939? Yes, that's, that's what we're going with, 1939. Okay, all right. Uh, but I'm very interested. Any thoughts? You guys are, are all fans of the, the Marvel movies, the cinematic universe? What draws you? Except Harley Quinn. Right. I mean, <laughs> this is Marvel 616. Yeah, Marvel. but we haven't talked any 616 yet. Oh, I'm sorry. We've talked DC and Star Wars. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Is that why you said there's only 20 minutes left? Well, yeah. We have a lot of things to cover. I'm just saying we're giving the people the wrong impression that all we do is talk about non-Marvel 616. That's thing. the politics part. You don't even have your logo showing. You're, like, embarrassed. Do you want me to go get you a DC hold shirt on, or something? On. No, go on. Talk. All right. We were going to hit up some news items. I don't know how much you guys follow the Marvel news, but we follow it on a daily basis. We update our Facebook and our website on a daily basis with the latest Marvel news uh, when it comes to the, the comic books and then typically the movies. And two big news items that came out this week were, were two new titles that are going to be coming out after Secret Wars. Secret Wars is the big summer crossover where a bunch of titles are getting canceled, a bunch of titles are starting over, and some sort of new universe – Possibly not 616 is going to be developed after the crossover. Have you guys heard, know what's going on with Battleworld and Secret War? Yes, no? We'll catch you up. Well, okay. Harley Quinn doesn't know. Yep. Uh, okay. She's like 52. That's awesome. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it's not. It's okay. Really all right. <laughs> so if you were to say that the multiverse, all right, there's an infinite number of multiverses, Versailles, multiverse university. All right. And you were to number each one. The one that we mainly read about is the 616. If you were to say, okay, well, that's the, that's the 616th 
universe. Well, all these universes are colliding now in and on themselves, and it's called the incursion in uh, Avengers and New Avengers. It's Time le- runs out. Right. It's leading up until Battleworld. So when they converge, they destroy each other, and it's down to just a few now, and they're all smooshing together. Yes. So that's what's going on with Secret Wars. And so, you know, uh, this also does play back into the continuity issue, the question that uh, we have, um, bringing it back there. We but were trying to go forward, but now I'm, we're going to go back. I'm sorry. I got I, I to know what these people think about We continuity. do, but we have other stuff that we All need right, to cover. Go ahead. Anyway, that's what's going on. They're All not right. even mic'd. Who knows if this is going to show up on the podcast? It's going to be cool. We're just going to make up really cool things that you guys all said. We're just like. With very flattering they voices. Were, we're they were cool with what flattering? you said. There goes Storm. Oh, my gosh. Storm. <laughs> Storm is my favorite <laughs> comic book character ever. Like, oh, my gosh. Halle Berry's out in the hallway. But, um,. The big news that, that came out this week is two new titles are going to come out after Secret Wars. After, like Andy said, all the planets or whatever hit together, and there's going to be some sort of new continuity is what we've been able to gather. Uh, Marvel's kind of not telling us everything that's going on. They're just releasing little bits and pieces and then letting us as fans go crazy with conspiracy theories and all kinds of stuff. But two titles that were announced, the first one is called Uncanny Inhumans, and the other one is called All New, All Different Avengers. So we kind of wanted to talk about that and, you know, the eye roll that just happened with me because I'm pretty disgusted with Which one do you want to tackle first? The Uncanny Inhumans. Now, most people know uh, that Marvel in the late 90s sold the, the film rights of the X-Men characters and Fantastic Four characters uh, to Fox. And so they do not have the movie rights to those those properties. Um, so because of this, Marvel has, in the past few years, uh, kind of slowly started to weed some X-Men out, weed the Fantastic Four out. Their title just got canceled. Um, and they're, they're not really, they're not wanting to, to publicize those characters very much. And with not having the mutant properties being able to be in the Marvel Universe, they have to figure out a way, like they can't make characters mutants. In the, in the movies. They have to come up with some other way. So they decided that they're going to make people have powers in the movies by being called Inhumans. Right. You guys have seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the show? Okay. And then Sky is... What? Harley Quinn has seen it. All right. Air high five. Ka-ching! All right. So... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So they're getting powers through something called Terragenesis, and uh, there's Terragen Mists, and all... It, it doesn't matter, what but they're Terrigen not... What was Terragen what? Terragen... Terragenesis? Terragenesis? I mean, I'm Thank from Ohio. You. I've got an accent. I don't okay. know. Terragenesis. I, I only taught school for 10 years. I mean, I did, obviously I didn't teach language, I guess. What's the first book of the Bible? Gen- <laughs> Genesis? Genesis. Genesis. Okay. All right. All right. Terragenesis. All right. all right. Go on. <laughs> so they're all going to get powers by Genesis <laughs> in the movies instead of being mutants. And um, so Uncanny Inhumans was announced. And when they announced Uncanny Inhumans, first they called it Uncanny. And Uncanny has always, since 1963, well, no, it, it debuted as, as X-Men. And then in, 19, in issue 141, it became Uncanny X-Men. Sorry. So Uncanny has always been associated with the X-Men, the Uncanny X-Men. That's what they were called. So it almost feels like a dig to say you're not going to have mutants anymore. We're going to call them Inhumans, and it's going to be called Uncanny Inhumans. Not only that, they're also taking the Human Torch from the Fantastic Four right. and making him a member of the Inhumans. Right. Now, yeah, I, I know. 
Let's all protest. Pitchforts. Let's go. You what now? She is. And time runs out. She's a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, Mr. Fantastic's in the Illuminati and doing a bunch of But that's Jonathan Hickman, so it's okay. No, they don't know how much you have a man crush on Jonathan Hickman. Who? Anybody else a fan? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. All right. Yeah, Ooh. he can do no wrong. I called this guy up. Okay, so we talk every day. I live in Louisiana. He lives in Ohio. Um, and uh, I was like, I can't believe the editors made him do the Beyonders as the bad guy. Spoiler alert. And uh, he was like, well, what do you mean? What, what article did you read where the editors made him do that? And I was like, well, clearly this wasn't Hickman's call. No, he wouldn't do that. It's like, have you ever met this man? Like, no, I haven't. But I, kn- I know in my heart of hearts that it was not him. Well, what do you think about the uncanny inhumans? <laughs> Me or them? You. They're not mic'd. I <laughs> I don't care about the Inhumans, and so that scares me because then what am I going to do? Like, I've invested all this time and energy into comics, and the Inhumans, I thought, I thought it was all mutants in the Marvel Universe. That's what I always thought. You so know? you didn't know about the Inhumans? No, I knew about them. I mean, the Paul Jenkins did a story on them and everything. But what I'm saying is, like, do I have to then get emotionally invested in this new character and follow this new storyline for another 40 years to see where it's going? Well, more so, what do you think about the Human Torch, an original member of the Fantastic Four since 1961, is now, well, I'm going to be with the Inhumans. I don't know. I don't think it'll last that long. You know, because they, they have the Inhumans title right now. Yeah. I, I don't think the sales are fantastic or anything. Yeah. they got a good writer on it, Charles Soule. He's good, mm-hmm. but... You know, they're trying to push this on us, and this is another thing that we're talking about here when they're trying to merge uh, the cinematic universe and and, uh, the comics. You know, what we see now is the comic people, the people who read the medium that was originally in, is now the testing ground. Okay, well, how's the public going to relate to this? Let's publish it because that doesn't really matter because that doesn't make the money. So if it does well here, like Mm -hmm. Brubaker's uh, Winter Soldier run, well, that was fantastic, critically acclaimed. Well, then we'll put it on the big screen, and then we'll make the big bucks. And that's what I feel like this is. Yeah. So. Well, we're running short on time. Why don't we, because we could probably talk about Uncanny Inhumans, because we're huge fanboys. Like, we could talk about it for hours. But all new, all different Avengers, also synonymous with X-Men, all new, all different X-Men. But now they're going to call them all new, all different Avengers, which is another thorn in my side. And, uh. The cast has been announced as being Captain America, but it's Falcon as Captain America. Uh, Thor, but Thor's a female. Uh, Iron Man, Nova as a teenager. Uh, Spider-Man, but Ultimate Spider-Man from another universe, Miles Morales. (laughs) Uh, Vision, so we've got a, a 616 typical character there. And then Ms. Marvel, but not... Maybe the Carol Danvers version that you know, the blonde. It's a, a young teenager. She's Kamala she's gonna, Khan. Is that who it is? Yes, she's going to be on the Avengers. So um, I don't like the lineup, but what I want to put out there is what does it what does it take to be an Avenger? An Avenger, at least originally, and for about thirty years, there was some sort of status that you had to obtain to be an Avenger. It wasn't just oh, you have a power, come join our team, you can be on the Avengers. Which kind of seems what it has been. Well, also let's let's not shortchange Nova in a recent storyline. <laughs> yes, they they very much care about Nova. Okay, I'm Look just saying, all right, They're he salivating. has a card, right? 
didn't Captain America extend him an invitation? He said, you did really well against the Hulk during Axis, right? Yeah. Here, yes. become an Avenger. So the question then is, what are the criteria to be an Avenger? That's what I was getting ready to ask. Oh, well. <laughs> but thanks for making it longer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, what does it take to be an Avenger? So I was just going to say that in the new Avengers run, um, when, when they got rid of like all the old guys, they bought, they bought in Power Man and all those folks. Yeah. I think Steve Rogers said, let's open it up. And I think it's been that way for the last... I mean, that's almost, that's almost 10 years, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's open it up. And, and if you got what it takes, if you're, if, you're, you know, if you're willing to, if you got the heart for it, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a superpower. I mean, you had Mockingbird, who was an Avenger. Right. You know, um, you had all these, you know. Hawkeye. Yeah. And it's like, as long as you got the heart and you're willing to do it, and I think the characters you named in the new lineup, I think they all fit that, that mode. There was a time when it was like your first class. Right. Everybody else is second rate and third rate, and you're not even going to go anywhere near us. So are you are you are you personally for? Uh, oh, I love all those characters. I love Kamala Khan. I love Miles Morales. I think Miles Morales is probably one of the best thing Marvel's done in a long time. It is pretty good. You haven't been reading it, have you? No. Because it's not six one six. No. No, it is. I have been reading it. It is fantastic. Yep. But I the the question then remains. Okay, so is it? Um, you know. At the end of Bendis' run, at the beginning of Hickman's run, he said, we're going to go big on Avengers. We're going to expand this thing because we have bigger threats. We have more threats than just the Earth. We have Galactus, and now we have the, the uh, builders and everything else. So we're going to make an uh, uh, intergalactic team type of power, power yeah. set. So, but if we're doing that and we're expanding for power, then I don't necessarily see Kamala Khan. I don't see... Um, Miles Morales. Miles Morales. But if you're talking about well, what does it take to be an Avenger where well, you have to have the heart, well, then, yeah. You know, these guys have... But I mean, Vision doesn't even have a heart. Oh, I dropped the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in, in your superheroes, though, in Avengers, who's an Avengers fan? Okay. I'd like to hear from the rest of you. What does it take? What does it take to be an Avenger? And what I mean is—is is this new lineup? Does this make sense to you, or or do you say mm, I don't know? I mean, I like the new lineup personally because it's, it is for a lot of people a lot of superheroes that they never really consider. Like Nova, not a lot of people would even read into Nova like at all. Right. And honestly, the Avengers—they have a lot to take care of. Think about it. <laughs> right. I mean, that makes it slightly more realistic to me. I'm, I like, in the world of superheroes, I like my superheroes to be slightly realistic and relatable. Sure. It's unrealistic. I know what you're saying, sir, because when I explain this to people at work, they're like, you know, this is fake, right? <laughs> and I say, I don't know what you're talking about. But then they'll go home and watch TV, and that's all fake, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go on. I'm sorry to cut you off. <laughs> I mean, I like. I like to think that the same three people, the same four or five people aren't going to save the world repeatedly. That's why I like Justice League International. My favorite. It's okay. It's, it's all right. It's all right. It was DC, but it was Justice League International opened it up to so many more DC characters than ever would have normally been in the Justice League. So you're a big fan of the Great Lakes Avengers is what you're telling me. Oh, uh, yeah. He is. He loves Big Bertha. So what? Do, <laughs> right. She's a character. Oh no. What? What do you think? What? What do you think? Uh, the criteria for an Avenger. I, I don't know. I've never really actually thought about the criteria because the 
they've had so many different characters, uh, you know, filling in the ranks throughout the years that it, it almost seems like they just take just about anybody with powers. Although not, I, I know they're a little bit more selective than you, you might want to think they are, but yeah, I guess I've never really thought about it. I think that uh, you know, if you t if you're taking it from a meta perspective, or from a real world perspective, you're going to bring your heavy hitters who you want to promote, who are going to be in the movies, and so they're going to bring the biggest bang for your buck. Uh, so there's two ways to look at that: you either the testing ground way again and say, okay, well, if the comic reading public goes for this, then we'll go ahead and put it in the movie, and then we can probably get a wider audience as well, or you kind of say. You know, these are the characters that we would like you to like, and so that's why we're picking them. And then we'll make it the story fit that way. But that's more of editorial driven. Oh yeah, I mean, just I I, I see I'm in the minority <laughs> with the with liking the new Avengers team because I do not. I mean, the all new, all different Avengers. I'm sorry, uh, I do not care for them because I feel like it is totally editorial driven. We've got Captain America as Falcon. Because Steve Rogers lost the superhero, the super soldier serum, again. Like literally, how many times is he going to lose it? Every ten years, he loses it. Oh no, what's going to happen to him? Somebody else takes the mantle, and then inevitably, somebody else. He comes back. He's able to get it, and he becomes Captain America. I would have much rather seen Falcon just have his own book. Give Falcon his own book with a good writer and a good artist, as opposed to shoehorning him into well, Captain America's already popular so we'll just put him in the costume and then that'll get sales and people will look at him i just i think that's super disrespectful to the character so you think that that's the what they're doing for this new marvel or uh, i'm sorry the, the new avengers team too i do let me like ms marvel and nova on their own as opposed to well i love the avengers so i got to pick up the main avengers book and we're just going to push them in there that's my that's my opinion and that's – it's my podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm allowed to have that opinion. But we're all allowed to have our – I mean I know that people – you said you like Cap Falc, right? right? Well, I said I like Marvel, but I do like Cap Okay. And, and that's fine. That's what makes – that's the cool thing about Marvel Universe is there – I don't know because like with the DC – I mean I don't want to talk about DC. Never mind. With Marvel <laughs> Universe, I just feel like it's so uh, diverse. The universe is so diverse. There are so many titles that can hit really – every single sort of niche that you want that you can always find something to to read whether it's an avengers or a falcon or or whatever well i mean yes but that depreciates when there's like 10 x-men titles then you're taking up you know the space of all your other characters that you could be given a chance but to. the but the way that marvel can decide their books is how we decide to spend our money they're only going to put out 10 X-Men titles if every week we go to the store and buy 10 X-Men titles. They're not going to put out 10 X-Men titles that don't sell anything. That's true. That's why not everybody's vampires anymore. Do you guys remember that storyline? Right. <laughs> I got, got one left! One chuckle! <laughs> <laughs> yes! All right. Anyway, we do have to wrap it up. Thank you guys and gals for coming out. We are Marvel 616 Politics. You can visit our website, marvel616politics.com. You can email us at marvel616politics at gmail.com and on Twitter at 
616 politics we're also on facebook facebook.com slash marvel 616 politics we try and interact with our fans every day have multiple posts um we really just we have a great time there so come in and check us out again it's family friendly so you're never going to have to worry about any sort of language or anything we've even got it set up that if a a, uh someone that likes us posts a, a nasty comment no one sees it. It automatically is gone. Um, so that's you, censorship, sir. That's right. It's my podcast. <laughs> so, uh, um, but if you like Cap Falc, you can get on there and talk. It's it's okay. It's not a problem. Um, we're also on Instagram and YouTube, of course. Marvel Six One Six Politics. Uh, you can give us a call and leave us a message, which will play on the, our podcast. Uh, which our phone number is six one six seven five five Tina. Tina. Yes. We can't even really explain where that comes from. Oh, it's from Tina Turner, of course. I, the greatest <laughs> the greatest rock star ever thank you uh we at the end of our episodes we give out awards called the tina awards and the tina awards are different tina turner songs based on marvel comic events that we talk about so tell me you're gonna find another podcast that does that you're not you're not uh <laughs> and then any other contact information we have no i think that's it did, did, did anybody have any questions before we got to wrap up here I appreciate everyone sticking around yes. when you say, wait a minute, this isn't the panel, but my feet hurt, so <laughs> we'll listen to these guys. So I appreciate you uh, hanging around. Thank you very much. All right. All right, we're here with Greg Land uh, at Gem City Comic Con. Thank you for being with us, Marvel 616 Politics Podcast. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. We just have a couple questions for you. I don't want to take up most of your time. You seem like a popular guy. You had a line, uh, a lot of signings today. Um, some of the questions that we have, we saw that you worked on the, the Mighty Avengers recently and on Spider-Woman. Uh, well, what kind of stories do you think work best with, with your type of artwork? Um, you know, I... Really, it, I can kind of bounce around between things. You know, if it's a more realistic story, you know, like street-level stuff, you know, obviously I'm pretty decent, you know, drawing stuff like cars and buildings to, you know, make them look believable. But, you know, also I, I like doing, you know, spaceships and, you know, the, the crazy technology stuff, you know. So, either way, I mean, I'm, I'm good to go. No do, do, you have a, do you have a preference? Uh, you know, give me some uh, good-looking female characters to draw, and I'm always happy. There you, there you go. Um, I'm going to get a little bit of fanboy here. I really enjoyed how you drew Spider-Man on uh, the, the Mighty Avengers, and then also uh-huh. the... Um, for some reason, it just, it just popped. Did you take any... You know, is that from your original concept, or did you say, well, I want to take this part of uh, this artist and this part of this artist and create my amalgamation? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, you always kind of, you know, you your vision of these characters are, you know, kind of from your childhood, you know, who you grew up idolizing, you know, different artists. Like, I, I love Gil Kane's Spider-Man and also John Romita's Spider-Man. And even though I don't draw anything like either of those two guys, there's still something about what they used to do with it that I try to be able to instill in my version of the character. You know, so, uh, you know, you just kind of always, you know, take all these little things that you've seen and then try and get them in your head and then try and get them down on paper the best you can. I got you. Do you have a favorite character you like to work on or a favorite team group? Uh, Well, I mean... 
I really enjoyed drawing the Ultimate Fantastic Four, uh, and I one day would really like to do a, a Fantastic Four story that you know where they do something with like some of their old classic villains, like say the Frightful Four with the Sandman, and, yeah, and maybe a. a, a Negative zone story with Blastar and Annihilus, you know, stuff like that. I think would really be fun, you know, just as you know, the, the, the little kid in me, you know, that's the kind of stuff. I yeah, would like yeah. To if you if you had like a, a dream team for that story of a, a writer and then an anchor mm-hmm. and a colorist, and you, who who would that be? You think? Oh shoot, I, I don't even. know. Obviously, Jay would be my anchor. Yeah, obviously, co- coloring wise, you know, I Justin. Ponzer would be great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. The, the guy who's calling me right now on the new uh, uh, Future Imperfect stuff is Nolan Woodward, and he's doing a really nice job on that stuff. Okay. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of great, you know, callers out and there. And writer? Writer, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, there's quite a few good ones out there. We don't want to leave anybody out. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Um, uh, can you tell us anything about Future Imperfect? If it's going to be a limited series, ongoing? Uh, really, I guess I'm not supposed to say anything. Okay. So, other than so far, I'm on issue three, and and it's really been a lot of fun to draw. There's, there's some really cool stuff happening, you know. So, yeah, as as you know, once again, I kind of get to do a little bit of that stuff that, you know, as a little kid growing up. I'm sure. Like, oh yes, I get to do this, <laughs> you know. So yeah, there's a few of those moments in there. That's so, fantastic. It, That's good. Uh, are there any other upcoming projects you can talk about or you want to plug? Uh, no, just I'm doing that one and then, you know, I, I do some uh, variant covers, you know, from time to time, which, you know, obviously they those kind of things are still stuff they don't want me to really talk about. Understood. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much just, you know, do the work and be quiet about it. <laughs> People will see it when it comes out. Yeah, I get that. I get that. A lot of, a lot of creators are, are very vocal. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, if it's okay to say, I remember yesterday you talked a little bit to us about them sending out an email saying, you know, maybe don't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, don't put stuff out on Twitter. Don't, you know, like, right. uh, you know, don't scan the artwork or take a picture of it and, you know, post it. You right. Know, they are wanting to keep the Secret Wars a secret. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? That makes sense. So, yeah. I, and since I don't do any Twitter or any of that stuff, it didn't really affect me right. any but you know it's well, kind of funny that you know that they have to actually tell people that to well not you know I, if i were if i were working for marvel i'd be super excited and want to shout it from the rooftops too yeah. so you know um we we did we tried to do a little bit of research yesterday to prepare um i think that your first book with marvel was it uh, that wasn't covers it was interiors uh x-men uh phoenix and song is that correct that's the, the first real work that I did for them. Many, many years ago, I did a short, like an eight-page story okay. that was in an X-Men Unlimited that was a juggernaut story. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that was a long time ago, back in the late 90s, I believe. We'll uh, have to, do you have that one? I have every issue of X-Men Unlimited. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll look it up. <laughs> and then I also, in a different issue of of something might have been Professor X and the X-Men I did a two-page pinup okay. of the original uh, characters very cool so that, that was actually my first your first two things but then you know after that my first real in, full interior story was the Phoenix Inn, so. We we wanted to ask how you how you landed that gig well that was shortly after CrossGen and uh, you know I was doing covers for uh, Marvel DC and some uh, stuff for uh uh, top cow doing some uh, witchblade stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, 
Marvel was talking to me about you know what kind of a project I'd like to work on or whatnot. And, you know, this one came along. I was like, that that would definitely be a good project to, to start out with. So that's yeah. fantastic. Hit, All right, hit the ground running with that one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, thank you very much for your time. We really I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks right. so thank, much, sir. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. Good, good. Thanks. Hope well, this is uh, Marvel 616 Politics, and we're here at Gem City Comic Con, and we've got Kyle Hotz with us right now. Did I say your, your name correctly? It's Hotz. Hotz. Awesome. Well, we've already started the interview off uh, about as well as we started off talking yesterday when I thought you were somebody else. So, sorry about that. That's all right. But uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking a few minutes uh, to uh, let us ask you a couple questions. Um, we, we were able to do some research and saw that you've done a lot of different Marvel work, various Marvel work here and there. Mm -hmm. um, what was probably your favorite work that you've been able to do for Marvel? Oh, The Hood, for sure. Yeah, okay. The Hood, absolutely. I mean, I love doing Man-Thing, too, but uh, since I was ground floor on The Hood, that was the most fun. And even the sequel, uh, Hood Book, which wasn't necessarily the direction that I think Brian Vaughn and I had intended for the character involved so many great like third and fourth tier villains that that was a lot of fun to draw. Now, you, you talked about the hood. Can you tell us a little bit about, you, you're the co-creator, is yeah, that correct? Right. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into creating that guy? Well, you know, when, when they say co-creator, I don't want to take anything away from Brian Vaughn because that was you know, his baby and he had that cemented before it came to me. What, what came in on my side was everything visual of the character. Okay. Um, so it's not like I, Brian and I sat down and came up with this. You know, when I did Billy the Kid with Eric Powell, that was like both of us coming up with every character, coming up with every storyline and everything that happened. But with, with The Hood, Brian had all the character in his head and had written all these notes. I took that and then did a whole bunch of art that the editors helped me you know, whittle it down to the final looks for all the characters. Okay. And so now how much, you've done a couple of series with The Hood. Right. Just, is that correct? Yeah, the two miniseries, yeah. Okay. And so where did you, what's kind of your impression of The Hood right now? Where do you exist? Uh, you know, I, I don't even know what's going on with them now. Okay. I don't have, any, it's work for hire, so I don't have anything where I feel bad about what they've done with it, but it's not what I thought was going to happen. You know, they didn't want to do a sequel right away when we did it. It would have definitely been different, you know, we didn't, I don't think there was ever any plan with Brian and I to do a, a make him be like a super crime boss. It was more that he was going to become an anti-hero, and then there, were, there was a whole different idea of what was going on with that hood, too. There was no way we were thinking it was Dormant Hood. That was something someone else brought in. Um, yeah, it was very different. You know, they, they've gotten rid of things that we had, like the boots were actually what gave him the ability to fly. It wasn't the hood itself. It wasn't that the hood was possessed. I mean, it was it was big, different stuff. It was more alien stuff involved with it. It was it was not the same story. Now, as I said, it's work for hire, though. So what they do is what they do. It's their character. I don't own it. I never had any intention of thinking about it. Okay. Now, what do you look for when you pick or accept work? Um, mostly, it's a 
it's more that they're willing to accept how I'm going to do it. You know, they're not going to want me to draw differently because I can't. And, and they're not going to expect me to do things that don't look like the craziness that I do. You know, that's that's my main thing. Even if someone came at me with something like Shazam or uh, you know something that you wouldn't even think of me doing, if they were willing to accept that I, my visuals are different, I'd be happy to do it. I'd love to do something out of left field as long as the editors knew it was not going to look like the typical artist on it. So you're pretty open to, oh, yeah, like absolutely. you said, anything. Absolutely. Now, you know, ideally it's stuff like Billy the Kid where it's like, it's very Tim Burton-esque or Hammer Horror-esque or, you know, it's something that's more like a 70s horror movie or something. That stuff's ideal for me, but I would be happy to try my hand at anything as long as it, it could be open to my, my visuals. Sure. Now, can you tell us a little bit about Billy the Kid? I know it's not Marvel, but this no, is it's your... Dark Horse. Yeah. It's the Dark Horse puts it out. It's uh, the, the whole idea with it is that Billy the Kid didn't die, and he, he faked his death so that he could stop being hunted down all the time. And he's still Billy the Kid. He's still a kid. He's not. It's not like he's... Well, we do have stories where he's 60, but the main stories are he's still a kid. He's like in his late 20s. Uh, and he's still uh, rude and obnoxious and everything else. But he gets teamed up with uh, a gang of uh, circus oddities. And the first story is they're going to rob Dr. Frankenstein. And then it goes from there. It, it involves basically uh, Billy and all these guys, and we bring in... Uh, famous monsters, but we use a lot more movie influences than literature influences. Okay, awesome. Uh, kind of getting back to the Marvel work, because we are mm -hmm. a Marvel yeah, po yeah. Uh, podcast, um, we were able to find that you did some work on Ghost Rider 2099. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a while ago. Yeah. And then our research told us that then the next thing you did was you did a, a small stint on Incredible Hulk for Marvel. Let's see, was that the next... No, I actually did some Carnage stuff and Venom stuff in there, too. Okay. Yeah, I did do the Hulk. That was great. I wanted to stay on the Hulk forever, but it's kind of <laughs> hard to beat out uh, John Romita Jr. I was just kind of like the place filler until he was ready. Okay. But I would have stayed on the Hulk forever. I still would, so whoever's editing it, you know, feel free to call me. So, well, so now tell me how that does that... <laughs> how does that Marvel work happen that you go from... You know, Ghost Rider 2099 to then a Venom to then a Incredible Hulk. Well, back then it was like, you know, one guy would be doing one and he would like, he would, they would, he, another editor would have seen what I had been doing on the other one and, and think I would be right for this, you know. Uh, Carnage happened just like that. Someone just thought, okay, you know, he does these weird, creepy monsters and, and we'll just have him do Carnage because Warren Ellis wants it to be like a horror book. Okay. So they thought of me for it. Um, Ghost Rider happened because, you know, I think I did like a Doctor Strange or something for the editor for that same editor, and he thought I would be a good fit on the Ghost Rider one too. So I guess then, do you just do you just wait for Marvel to contact you, or are you putting feelers out? How well, does that work? Necessarily? Gosh, it's so different now because that's for a long time that's how it was. I knew so many people there, and I would just call up and say, "Hey, I got an opening," because I would like to do Marvel stuff, and then I would do. Um, like some kind of an independent thing for a little while and then go back to Marvel. So every year I would spend a lot of time on Marvel and then a few months doing an independent book. But now it's it's very different and I don't know a lot of the people there anymore. Okay. Um, I was actually doing a book for them called The Destroyers. I did Heroes for, Heroes for Hire and then I was starting a brand new book that was a brand new team book called The Destroyers and it had She-Hulk, The Thing, Beast, A-Bomb, Harpy, a great Jack Kirby character called Carcass, and they were all teamed up, and it was like a new team book. 
and I was in the second issue of that when Disney bought them out, and I guess there was like a third of the line got cut, and I was one of them. So since then, it's pretty much just been I've been doing my Dark Horse stuff. Yeah. So, so where are those pages? Oh, they're in my studio. So you've got them? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't bring them today? No. Just to look at. <laughs> okay. No, All it's right. funny because... Uh, the main idea of it was that they had their first thing they had to do was take out all these giant monsters. And this was before, what was that Del Toro movie? Uh, yeah, with the giant monsters. Pacific Rim. I love that movie. I, I don't know why it slipped my mind, but that, it was before Pacific Rim. So it was this team taking out all these kaiju's like that. And in the second issue, they were trying to show the origin of them, and it was in a Japanese uh, World War II camp. And you only saw the, the silhouettes and stuff, but it was pretty obvious that we were talking about Godzilla. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So yeah. do you think maybe the next con you might be able to bring those pages with you? Or are those, is that I like Marvel property? How does that no, work? No, no, no. Okay. I mean, they, they paid me for the work I did, okay. but I can show any originals. Okay. So that would be something really cool yeah. to see, that, like those background stories that you don't necessarily yeah. hear about on, on yeah, other it sites. It, it would have been the first time that She-Hulk had a different hairstyle because one of the kaijus was so powerful that its uh, blast was enough to shear her hair off. So we had She-Hulk with really short hair all of a sudden. <laughs> That'd be awesome yeah, to see. So do you have any anything upcoming from Marvel? No, not at this moment, yeah. Okay. I mean, I've been trying to uh, re, uh, regain those contacts, but when when Disney uh, took over, a lot of things got shifted around, and a lot of the editors I worked with got put into different departments. And I was, like, so deep into Billy the Kid, too. Yeah. You know, I, I, I pencil and ink, so I can only do one thing at a time. And this Billy the Kid book has... We did uh, 12 issues on it, so that was a lot of work. So okay. I was so deep into that that I kind of lost touch with a lot of those guys. Well, I'm, I'm fully convinced that, you know, our podcast is so far-reaching that Marvel's going to hear this, and you're totally going to be whatever you want. <laughs> Avengers, X-Men, you name it. It's, speaking of that, though, what, what would be your dream? Like, what Marvel character, what would you like to do if Marvel came to you today and said, what do you want to do? All the monsters. Morbius, Man-Thing, World by Night. Living Mummy, Tomb of Dracula, all those characters. Okay, awesome. And what do you have coming out? What's what's on the horizon for uh, you? Book of Revelation. I'm doing with uh, Jason Moore, who was my anchor for for a lot of Marvel stuff and a lot of Ultraverse stuff and all the Evil Army stuff. But we're doing the Book of Revelation for a publisher called Kingston. And it's, it's crazy. It's about 132 pages, mm. uh, mostly double-page spreads. Just, you know, my interpretations of what is in the Bible about the book of Okay. And where can we find you? Where you find If we me? want to get a hold of you. Just on Facebook. Uh, I have an artist page on there, Kyle Hoots Comics, and just a personal page, too. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Okay, well, we are here with Jay Lyston at the Gem City Comic Con. Thanks so much for joining us, Jay. We appreciate it. Um, we just had a couple questions for you. Sure. Um, well, the first one was, how do we say your name? Jay Lyston. Jay Lyston. Do you, uh, how do you hear other people say it? What do they say to you? Uh, Lysteen, Leston, Lester is probably the most common one. All right. Do you just go with it or do you correct yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, usually. <laughs> You're like, yeah, my name's Jay Smith. Sure, whatever you say. <laughs> Um, now, as we were doing some of our research last night, we saw that you seem to have a unique partnership with Greg Land. Sure. Can you kind of maybe tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, I was trying in the early 95, 96 to break into comics, penciling, inking, coloring, pretty much everything. 
uh, and I met Greg, who was uh, living fairly close to where I was at. Um, and he started giving me pencil samples of his to ink to sort of practice that technique because uh, when, you, when you ink your own work early on especially, sometimes the, the end product isn't very good and it's okay. kind of hard to know whether it's the penciling that's bad or the inking that's bad if you're doing both up front. So that gave me an opportunity to work with professional pencils to see how my inks looked. And it, what the end result kind of became is my finish was good. It was the, the beginning of the drawing that wasn't, wasn't as solid. Okay. So I started focusing more and more on being an inker, uh, and that's kind of how my career got started. Though. With Greg. So mm -hmm. then you went to CrossGen, is that mm -hmm. right? Did you well, go to CrossGen? I did, um, November of 99, I did uh, one book with Greg. Uh, I helped out on his last issue of Birds of Prey. Okay. And then did an issue of Mutant X from Marvel oh, yeah. all in that same month. Um, and then took an internship at Top Cow for two years before going to CrossGen. Okay. And once... Uh, once my internship at, at Top Cow was over, that Greg asked for me to come out to CrossGen at that point. So. And that is that because you guys had built a friendship then? You guys are yeah. just kind of really good friends? Yeah. it's in, in a lot of ways, it's if you know someone is, is good and you like the quality of their work and you're friends, it's much easier to um, interact with each other. And I like It's very easy because art is so personal to like hurt each other's feelings. <laughs> yeah. And because we were already friends, we kind of had an understanding that like regardless of what may or may not be said in terms of reviewing each other's work to try and get better. It was all about getting better. Um, so regardless of what corrections he may have or uh, someone else in production may have or the writer or anybody else in the building, I always tried to just take in whatever they were saying and go with it. Okay. And he knew that. And at CrossGen, that was a big part of the situation is because we had a, such a heavy staff of artists, they, they gave a lot of feedback, especially the younger guys who were starting out like myself. Okay. Awesome. Now you have upcoming for Marvel. We've seen that your name has been associated with the Future Imperfect title. Mm -hmm. It's coming for Secret Wars. Yeah. Uh, we know you can't say a whole lot about it, right. but can you kind of maybe tell me what you're excited about with this upcoming Secret Wars title? Well, um, I think the big thing is uh, I was a huge fan of Peter David's run on Hulk early on. Uh, we worked with each other on X Factor for a few years, um, about three or four years ago, and. Uh, really just got into the way he writes and how he sets an artist up for, for success. Mm -hmm. like the stories always play to your strengths and also challenge you a little bit in terms of new techniques or a new environment. Yeah. And I don't know. It just makes a fun book. Good. Okay. Do you have anything else coming up Marvel-wise mm -hmm. that you can tell us about? Yeah, I'd be doing Uncanny and Humans with Steve McNiven also. Okay. Um, and those, those books are going to kind of overlap, I think, in terms of uh, when they come out. Um, but I did some of the work on Uncanny Humans already, and then now we're doing the Future Imperfect book. And then as that starts to wind down, luckily we're pretty far ahead on the schedule. I'll be starting the Uncanny Humans book and kind of keep things rolling so that okay. every month there's something out. Okay. Do you have a particular character or team at Marvel that you're like, this is what I really just want to write, want to draw, or I have drawn? Um, well, Wolverine was always a big part of... Uh, my reading it growing up with comics. Okay. Uh, so getting to do the Death of Wolverine book was huge. Yeah. Um, and so that's one for sure. And then the other character I've always wanted to do something with in Marvel is Daredevil. Okay. Um, just because the character design is so simple and straightforward that there's a real challenge there in terms of making like the muscle forms read underneath that red slick suit. Mm -hmm. And then also the stories that are done in Daredevil have a tendency to be a little bit um, more adult themed and 
a little deeper, I'm trying to think of the right word, uh, context in terms of how they're how they're put together. It has a tendency to be a much more long form story. Uh, you're also you're dealing with uh, themes and ideas there that is not so much good guy versus bad guy, they fight it out and solve their problems. There's yeah. the legal side of it too, where he may or may not be in a situation where he's got to deal with defending a client who he knows is guilty or uh, working on a case that he may or may not agree with, but he still has to do his day job while still being a hero at the same yeah. time. Now, so you you do a lot of art for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Do you also read a lot of Marvel? Yeah, I would say I do. Um, you know, in my house, we, we get a lot of Batman books okay. uh, from DC, and then I'm also a fan of Constantine, uh, Swamp Thing, and Animal Man at DC, but the bulk of the rest of my reading is Marvel books. What what kind of stands out that you're reading right now that you would say, yes, I, I have to read this, the, the, that Wednesday it comes out, I have to have that yeah. one? The, uh, the Captain America and the Mighty Avengers book that uh, Eminem okay. was doing was really good, or not Eminem, uh, Luke Ross was doing, and also Eminence book uh, with the, the Captain America book. Okay, awesome. Was there anything else you w- you want people to know about you, and that uh, you kind of want to wrap up with with anything coming up? Or uh, I think we covered most of that. Um, I mean, you can check out my website if you like, jlyston.com. It'll it'll redirect you to my blog, uh, Clockwork Productions, where I'll post videos of pages as they're being produced and. Uh, usually my convention schedule, things like that. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. No problem. So basically, I see myself as kind of what I call the curator of the Silver Age. Infantino died two years ago. Cuber just died. Um, Steranko and Adams, who used to be the Young Turks, they're in their mid-70s. I mean, they still look good. They're still working. Mm. My feeling is, you know... It's, it's like the history of anything, whether it's music, rock and roll. You know, I was art director of Bruce Springsteen's first fan magazine. I'm the greatest Bruce fan you're ever going to meet. He's the superhero of rock and roll. But my point is, is that the job of history is to keep it alive. Because my feeling is, and this is what I lecture about, I think these guys are our Renaissance masters. The way we talk about Michelangelo and Da Vinci 500 years ago, Renaissance masters of the human figure, I'd like to think that 500 years from now, future art historians are going to look back at our Renaissance masters of the human figure, Hubert, Infantino, Neil At- Jack Kirby's our Michelangelo. And maybe the work I'm doing is the work they're going to be looking at as proof comic book historian Arlen Schumer 500 years ago had his finger on the pulse because he named these guys, you know what I mean? And and this is what you have to teach people, is that one person can make a difference in the world, whether it's Adolf Hitler or Martin Luther King, right. or you or I or him. So I'm trying to create the future in the present that I want the future to be, mm-hmm. which is this book and my lectures and everything I'm doing. So it's sad that people are going to these Marvel movies and they don't even know the name Jack Kirby. Forget the fact they don't even know his real name was Yaakov Kurtzberg from the Lower East Side. And I did a whole lecture called Yaakov Kurtzberg, King of the World. Because it was on the Lower East Side at a pop-up museum, the Kirby Museum started. So I figure I'll do a lecture about the fact that Kirby grew up in the Lower East Side as Yaakov Kurtzberg, uneducated, child of you know Eastern European Jews, 
how did this guy create that machinery, Kirby crackle, all that stuff coming out of the Lower East Side? That's a story in itself. What, are, what would you say are the common misconceptions in the Marvel side of uh, comics history that are important to set straight? Uh, and then but just just name the, the primary two or three. Yeah. And then why is it so important to keep it straight? You kind of touched on that. Yeah, just yeah. Now. It's important to know, and this gets into the whole Stan Lee thing. I give Stan Lee... 50% of the credit, just like Lennon and McCartney, mm-hmm. split everything 50-50. Even though in some songs, like Hey Jude, all John Lennon did was tell Paul McCartney to keep one lyric in, the movement you need is on your shoulder. McCartney thought it made no sense. But Lennon, being Lennon, he was probably high at the time, like, I get that, the movement you need is on your shoulder. That's his entire contribution to Hey Jude, which is the biggest selling single in rock and roll history. So Lennon and the Ono Estate are probably still making money off of Hey Jude, and all he contributed, keep that line. Yeah. And yet, they had an agreement right from the beginning, 50-50. Unfortunately for the artists at Marvel, like Kirby and Buscema and Colin and Ditko, they didn't have that. So Stan Lee comes in, and the so-called Marvel method of storytelling, which is where old-school storytelling was DC, where you write the script first, like a screenplay, page one, panel one, man comes in doorway, surprise, telling the artist what to draw. That was the way it was done. In the early Marvel era, it's only Stan Lee, the writer, the editor. Marvel starts getting, with Fantastic Four, all of a sudden, they got to do more books. Martin Goodman, the publisher, Stanley's uncle, is cheap. Doesn't want to hire other writers. He basically says, Stan, you're the writer. You got to write everything. Well, Stan Lee can't write full scripts for 12 books on a monthly basis. So he comes up with this idea that ends up being called the Marvel Method, where, listen, you're the artist. I'm Stan Lee. I don't got time to write a full script. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Let's have the FF fight a really big villain. You got 20 pages. You tell that story. Draw it out. But leave it, leave the words, leave space for the word balloons. You know, there are pages where you see Jack Kirby writing margin notes. Mm-hmm. But the whole story is drawn out like a silent movie. And then Stanley comes in, and as he says in his own words, it was like filling in a crossword puzzle. Imagine waking up one Monday morning and you get a shipment from Jack Kirby of 20 beautiful pages drawn out, and you've got to fill in the caption. Now, this isn't to say Stanley wasn't a good writer. He wrote snappy dialogue. Again, the DC scripts of the early 60s were these horribly wooden, no characterization, formula, boring. I mean, so Stan Lee came along with that snappy dialogue, face front, true believer, everything that's become the Marvel shtick. Mm-hmm. Compared to the DC, you know, people who put down Stan Lee nowadays because he took too much credit for sure. creating everything, try reading a DC comic in 1961. Stan Lee will feel like William Shakespeare compared to. So the point is, is unfortunately, what ended up happening was. Stan Lee in his own mind thought by him dialoguing the story and telling the artist anything from have the FF fight a really big villain to sometimes he typed up a synopsis 
like, and again, it's like the difference between when you see a movie and it says written by, like the screenplay, but sometimes it'll say story by so-and-so, right. screenplay by another person. What that means is when they say the story is, a writer sometimes doesn't write a full screenplay, just writes a synopsis of a story. Mm -hmm. And then a screenplay writer takes the story and turns it into a screenplay. Right. Stan Lee thought in his mind, by him telling the artist verbally what the story might be and then coming in and dialoguing it, that he was the writer. Technically, yes, he wrote that. That doesn't mean he created the story or that that synopsis alone is enough to say that's my story. But in his own mind, Stanley thinks he did the Galactus Silver Surfer trilogy. He thinks he wrote that. And here's the problem. The credit box, which Lee was instrumental in giving everybody credit, that was a big deal, like written by colorist. DC never gave colorists or letterers credit. That was a Stanley invasion. The problem is every credit box says, even though Kirby drew the story out like a silent movie, in the end, the credit box reads, written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby. Now, in the mind of the layman, and this is what I go into with my auteur theory, mm -hmm. in the mind of the layman, when it says written by so-and-so, illustrated by so-and-so, it usually means, in the minds of laymen and in the minds of other creative people, it means the traditional, that the writer comes up with the story and the characters, by the way, because this extends to Lee thinking he creates the characters verbally. I want to have a guy gets bitten by a radioactive spider and becomes Spider-Man. See, I created Spider-Man. You see that image of Steve Ditko? Pencil. Okay. Yep. That's me saying, until an artist puts pencil to paper, you can have the greatest verbal description in the world, but until an artist figures out how to draw it, you got nothing. You got to See, here's the problem, and this gets back to the auteur theory. If Stan Lee thinks in his own mind, whether this is cynical or whether he honestly believes it, now just because a liar believes his lies doesn't make them true. So I'm going to give Stan Lee the benefit of the doubt. He, he can believe all he wants. He believes he created Spider-Man because the verbal idea came first. Right. And then he gave it to Steve Ditko. Sure. My answer to Stan Lee and the people that side with him, and believe me, the pro-Stan Lee forces are legion compared to, they're like the clones. Team Kirby, we are like the Jedi Knights. And I'm talking about in terms of numbers. Okay. And when I tell you I've lost friendships with writers over this auteur theory, I'm talking about people like Roy Thomas, major heavy hitters that I used to have a relationship with. But they saw me as the villain stripping away their credit. So my answer to Stan Lee and Team Lee is to say, Stan, if in 1962 you wanted to write a prose novel called Spider-Man about a teenager that gets bitten by a radioactive spider and climbs the walls and Fine, you could be the co you could be the creative spider. You worked in the comic book medium, in which, just like in movies, a screenplay is words on paper until a director figures out, hey, how do I shoot this scene? Is it a long shot? Who do I cast? What actors? You know, the choreography, the the lighting. The, until you figure out how to make a movie, it's just a screenplay. Right. In comics, the artist by the minute he puts pencil to paper, he is a de facto, and that's the key word, the Latin phrase de facto means in reality. He is the co-creator. 
doesn't matter whether he's worked for hire, on salary, because in the legal arena, that's all they care about. Sure. Oh, Kirby was worked for hire, so sure. he doesn't own anything. Well, nowadays in the courts, and this is what the Supreme Court case was going to evaluate, forget about what are considered onerous contracts back then. They evaluate it in the real world of today. Did Kirby co-create everything you see on the screen? The Avengers, Iron Man, of course he did. The minute he put pencil to paper, the minute Ditko came up with the most unique costume in the history of comics, all you had was the verbal idea of Spider-Man. Now, in copyright and trademark law, when you need to, and again, I don't know what's the difference, I think, you can't trademark or copyright an idea, a verbal idea. Okay. They will only give you a trademark if you have a physical manifestation of that, a drawing, a model, okay. something. Just the idea right. means nothing. Right. The idea, you know, Spider-Man was bandied about for 15 years before Ditko did his first drawing in 1962. There was the idea of a Spider-Man. It wasn't the same thing as Peter Parker, but it was a teenage kid, the silver spider with a ring, and his costume is in the ring, and he lives with his aunt, like Aunt May, blah, 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 blah. The point is, is it failed. It never went anywhere. Um, the guy that came up with Captain Marvel, C.C. Beck, the artist, okay. he drew a couple pages of this thing called the Silver Spider in the mid-50s. Never went anywhere. Then Joe Simon, the, who created co-created co Captain America with Kirby, came up with Spider-Man as one word. Mm -hmm. Didn't go anywhere. And it got banded about. And then Kirby creates the fly, which is kind of like Spider-Man. And da-da-da. And then Marvel comes along. Fantastic Four is successful. Let's do more superheroes. Kirby says, what about the Spider-Man thing that's lying around? So, did, so Lee says, okay. Kirby draws up a few pages. But Lee wanted a teenage nerdy superhero. Although they didn't use the word nerd back then. Kirby's Spider-Man was, according to Ditko who saw the pages, it was a typical Kirby heroic figure. Right. And to, to, to Lee's credit, he said, that's okay for other characters. Spider-Man, so Lee canceled Spider-Man Kirby and gave the project to Ditko. So he kind of wanted the everyman instead of... And Ditko the... gave him that. Okay. So the point is, is what made Spider-Man successful, yes, Peter Parker, angst, you know, great power, great blah, 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 blah. The point is, is that costume, Ditko's design, is 50% of the, of the creation of that character. But in Lee's mind, and the layman's mind, it's only the verbal idea that matters. And like I said, we are 50 years behind, 50, 70 years behind film criticism. Hmm. in which every, most of the people here are going to agree with Stan Lee. And yet, here we are in a visual medium. Right. So it's ironic that in such a visual medium, the writer is still elevated above the artist. And this is getting back to your original question. What, what do you want most people to know? Is that when they see the movie The Avengers and they see Captain America throw that shield... That is a visual creation that came out of the mind of Jack Kirby. The idea that the, the shield is like a discus and a weapon. Stan Lee didn't come up with that. Joe Simon didn't come up with that. Jack Kirby visualized that. The visual of these characters is as much of the creation. See, what pisses me off is Hawkeye is just a guy in a black turtleneck with a bow and arrow. 
to me, Hawkeye is that guy with the purple mask with the medieval. Right, right. Where is that guy? Superheroes are visual icons. If the filmmakers don't realize that, then you get a guy in a black turtleneck with a bow and arrow. That ain't Hawkeye. Right. It pisses me off that these films, they spend most of their time, Robert Downey, walking around the Iron Man thing without the helmet. Uh, 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 Captain America walking around without, because, you know, they're movie stars. Right, right. You know, they did a Judge Dredd movie a couple years ago. I didn't see it, but I'm a big Judge Dredd fan. According to the, the, the first movie with Stallone, mm-hmm. he spent half the movie with the thing off. If you know Judge Dredd, you never see his face. Right. But in the recent movie they made, the actor, Keith... Urban. Urban, right? Keith Urban. That's the is musician. It? Oh. Something Urban. Same, it's the same last name. Is it Carl Urban? Is Carl Urban. Okay. Kept the mask on the whole time. Right. Now, that's an actor who understands his role. Yep. See what I'm saying? Yep. So that's the major thing to get across is that um, the artist in comics is a de facto co-creator. It doesn't matter whether he didn't write the story, didn't come up with any of the characters or ideas or anything. The act of drawing from blank paper is 50% co-creation. No matter whether it's from a 20-page Alan Moore script for one panel or whether it's a phone call. The artist is the de facto co-creator. And like I said, I, I, my, that auteur theory, the lectures that I do, everything that I do, and my entire book is basically, because you'll be able to find Stan Lee's name in here. I give Lee credit. Mm-hmm. But my whole book is a testament to the artists. And where's the best place to find your book for our listeners? Okay, they can go right to my website, arlenschumer.com. Make sure they spell my name right, S-C-A-R-L-E-N. S-C-H-U-M-U-R, and they can get a signed hardcover, you know, right from me directly. Fantastic. If they want to obviously save money, they can go to Amazon.com. It's on there. Uh, there's a digital book version, but it's all available through my site. Okay. So all really, right. you know, it doesn't matter. But but that would be the best way if they want to get it signed. And I usually do a drawing inside Fantastic. for them and all that. And, uh, you know... What can I tell you? Well, sir, Mr. What Schumer, happened, I told you. <laughs> Mr. Schumer, we appreciate Arlen, your time. Arlen, call me Arlen. Arlen, thank so you. So formal all of a sudden. <laughs> what happened? I thought we were on a first-name basis. <laughs> we, thank you I very much. I thought we much. had something. <laughs> For your time, sir. Oh.